Well, good morning. Try it again. Good morning. There we go. Man, what a privilege it is for you to pray for Pastor Steve and the church to pray for Sharon and I. We're very excited, very grateful to speak to you this morning. My, my niece, Caitlin Greenleaf, runs for the University of Alabama. Actually, she re- recently graduated from there. And while at Alabama, she was on the track team. She recorded the fastest time in the steeplechase at Alabama. No other Alabama female athlete in history has run faster than my niece. When my niece runs, she's incredibly fast. And this morning, I want to talk about someone who was incredibly fast, who was a runner. Now, I'm not talking about a college athlete or a professional runner. I'm talking about a person who vigorously ran away from God. And his name is Jonah. In theory, he was probably one of the most spiritual people on the face of the planet. He was called a prophet of God, and he prophesied during the 8th century BC. He lived around the same time as two other prophets that we know in the Bible, Amos and Hosea. And God comes to Jonah and speaks to him and says, Jonah, I have a mission for you. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And so God gives Jonah these straightforward orders. I need you to speak against this prominent, wealthy city. Because what they're doing is absolutely wicked and evil. And the truth of the matter is, Nineveh was known for decadence, for rampant prostitution, sorcery, witchcraft, corporate corruption, cruelty to prisoners, and the list goes on and on. And as a people, they were absolutely outspoken in their contempt and defiance of God. And God says to Jonah, you need to tell the most powerful city on the earth the truth, and you need to warn them of my wrath and my punishment if they don't change their ways. And right there, Jonah has a meltdown. He's scared. He has absolutely no interest in going to Nineveh. So he purchases a boat ticket to go to the city of Tarshish. And the Bible says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. To kind of give you an idea, the city of Nineveh resides in in the great heart of Assyria, which we would know as the modern day Turkey and Iraq, just north and east of Israel. The city of Tarshish is on the west coast of Spain, which basically is on the opposite side of the known world. So he's about as far as you can get from one place to the other. It would be like God coming to Jonah and saying, hey, Jonah, I know you live in Connecticut. I want you to go to Boston to tell people about Jesus. And Jonah goes and drives to New York City, purchases a ticket to go to Seattle. He goes about as far away as he can. So Look at this verse. It says, he ran away, and then it says, he flees. I mean, by his actions, Jonah is making a very clear statement to God. No way, no how, are you ever going to ever get me to go there? Forget about it. I'm not going to listen to you, God. I'm going to make other plans. Now, have you ever been there before? God speaks to you about something, something you know you should be doing, but you end up doing the exact opposite. 
I'm raising my hand right now, okay? Because I'm guilty. How many of you ever done that with a friend or maybe your spouse? They tell you to do something, and just out of spite, you do the exact opposite, right? Am I the only sinner here in the room? <laughs> One day, I, uh, I was invited to go deep sea fishing. This is when I used to live in Florida. And my wife said to me, hey, you know, you've been working hard. You're really tired. You're not doing well. I think you should stay home. And I said to my wife, I'm not doing that. I'm going deep sea fishing. Well, I went with my buddies, and there were 10 to 12-foot swells. Now, if you know anything about the ocean, let me just say this. Do not ever go out into 10 to foot, 12-foot uh, swells. I lost everything that I ate that morning. I was dehydrated. I was sick as I've ever been. I was laying on the floor of the boat in the middle of the ocean, and somehow my cell phone goes off. And I, I, it took everything to pick it off the ground and said, hello, it's my wife. How's it going? <laughs> Not so good. Not so good. And this is what Jonah does. He runs in the opposite direction. He does his own thing. He thinks maybe God won't make him obey. But I'm going to tell you something. God loves Jonah way too much to let him get away with disobedience. But for a while, Jonah is cruising along in the boat. I mean, he's just enjoying the view. But then this violent storm sweeps across the sea. And the sailors on the ship haven't seen a fierce storm like this ever since they've been on the ocean. They know this is the kind of storm that's going to destroy the ship and take people's lives. They're convinced somebody made God mad or the gods angry. So they roll this divination dice. The Bible says they cast lots to see who the troublemaker is. And everything, everything points to Jonah. And so the sailors asked him, tell us who's responsible for, responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? I mean, the interrogation begins. They are not happy that this trouble has come upon them. And Jonah answers, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Now, in this moment, I really admire Jonah. Jonah comes clean. He gets real honest. He says, you know why we're having this threatening storm? It's because of me. I should have been following God, but, I, but I've been running away from him. And this right here is the turning point for Jonah. Just earlier, he was bragging to the sailors that he had been running away from God. Now he's realizing the consequences of his sin. His disobedience is affecting the very lives of the sailing crew. And he's contrite at this moment in his sin. And it's a painful confession. And let me just pause here just for a moment. We have to realize that our sin negatively impacts us, but it also impacts other people. It, it never just affects us. Secondly, when I sin, I have to come to the point where I can authentically and honestly confess it. 
And that's what Jonah's doing here. And he's ready to accept the punishment for his sin. He's going to pay the price, and he tells the sailors, if you want this dangerous storm to stop, I need you to throw me overboard. I'm the cause of this calamity. Then you're going to see that everything's going to get calm. And by the way, do you know how refreshing this is to see? I mean, we live in a day where people will deny their sin, and they refuse to take responsibility. You see it in politics, sports, business, Right, government, all aspects of our society. Deny, 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 deny. It's always about covering up and never being honest. But Jonah, he acknowledges his sin and he's willing to accept the consequences. And that's what you and I must do once we confess, we must be willing to accept the consequences. Rather than despise the consequences of your sin, and God's corresponding discipline, you truly embrace it. It's a part of the repentance process. I accept it, God. The Bible says, in your struggle against sin, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord's discipline, he disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. When God's discipline comes and our consequences occur, I want you to know this. Know that God's love is in the middle of all of it. Might be hard to believe, but it is. And God knows you need to feel the pain in order to change and to get back into that love relationship with God. The sailors took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. As soon as Jonah is shot, put it into the sea, this great fish comes and swallows him, and the storm stops. But for three days and for three nights, God gives Jonah some time to think about his life. Has God ever put you on your back where you've had to do some soul searching? Because that's what God is doing with Jonah. And it wasn't pleasant. It wasn't like he was hanging at the Ritz-Carlton drinking Perrier and getting a tan. That's not what he was doing. No, he's cramped in the belly of a fish, looking at dead fish, smelling that awful odor for three days and three nights. And oftentimes, it is in our real distress, on our backs, sick and disgusted, that is when you can find your way back to God. And that's what happens to Jonah. The Bible says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. I'd say that was a pretty good plan by Jonah. I mean, what else is he gonna do? Three days, right? In the belly of, of a fish. But he really prays. The whole second chapter of Jonah is his prayer. And it's a reminder to you and to me, when you are in the depths, call out to God. At the end of his praying, Jonah has his complete change of heart. He has a new perspective, and he has a new commitment. And he says, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And Jonah's saying, God, you have my attention, 
and I will make good on what it is you want me to do. And Jonah repents. He acknowledges his sin. He confesses his sin. He accepts God's discipline, and now he tells God, hey, God, I'm coming back, and I will obey. He's come to his senses, and now he's ready to return. It reminds me of the story that Jesus told about the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. The firstborn son gets his inheritance from his father in advance, and then he takes the wealth and he blows it on wine, women, and song. Then he's broke, he has no friends, and he comes to the end of himself. He's not in the belly of a fish, but he is wallowing in pig slop. And he's on his back, and he's doing some soul searching. And he's thinking to himself, you know, maybe I could go back home, maybe I could apologize and ask my dad to take me back. Yet, he worries. He worries about his dad, because he's thinking he'll think less of him, because he's really blown it. But when he returns home, his dad is just completely overjoyed. He hugs him and he throws him a party. You know, that story is an incredible picture of how God deals with you and me. You see, when we have a change of heart and we repent, then God is right there joyfully waiting for us to return. Max Lucado said, if there are a thousand steps between you and God, God will take 999 of them and leave the last one for you. You see, God wants you back, but you have to take a step towards him. And that step is called repentance. And when I repent, God will forgive me because he loves me. And he will not only forgive you, but he will restore you and he will make you right and pure again. The Bible says, but God is faithful and fair. If we confess our sins, he will forgive our sins. He will forgive every wrong thing we've done. He will make us pure. It's awesome. Now, after three days, the fish vomits Jonah onto the beach. Ah, oh, yes. Can you imagine? Right? Fresh air. I'm not cramped anymore. Sunshine on my face my feet now firmly planted on the ground. And when he's there, God speaks to him again. And the Bible says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give it. This is my favorite verse in all the book of Jonah. I want you to look at it again. God speaks to Jonah a second time. You see, God doesn't give up on Jonah. He doesn't write him off. God gives Jonah a second chance, and we serve a God who gives second chances. Some of you are beating yourself up because of bad decisions that you've made. You've sinned, you've messed up, you've blown it, and you say to yourself, God, you could never use me. I've just, I've just really, really blown it bad. And you're shackled and you're paralyzed by regrets and doubts and misgivings and personal disappointments. And God has brought some of you here this morning so that he can say to you, I have never, ever, ever given up on you. I love you. I will never leave you. You turn to me and commit to doing it my way. I am ready for you. 
There's always a second chance with God. And even though Jonah breaks trust and he runs away, God is still willing to give Jonah the same assignment. It's crazy. Go and preach to the city of Nineveh. Why is this so significant? Because it's still plan A. Sometimes we think if we really screw up, then we're relegated to God's plan B for the rest of our lives. It's like we have to walk around in life with our head down low and feel like somehow God will never ever use me again. Well, guess what? I'm here to tell you that God's love, his love, his grace, and his goodness is more abundant than you will ever know. The Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote most of the New Testament. And he said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Another version says, I am the chief of sinners. Listen, if there's hope for the Apostle Paul, then there's hope for you and for me. So with the second chance opportunity, Jonah takes full advantage of it. With courage and boldness, Jonah declares, citizens of Nineveh, if you don't get your act together and turn from doing wrong, God is going to destroy this city. And Jonah preaches, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. And Nineveh, they repent. They believe God. They declare a fast. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, they put on sackcloth. And what Jonah says pierces them to the heart. They acknowledge that they have been doing wrong. And even the king sends out an edict saying, hey, humble yourself before God. Fast, put sackcloth and ashes on. Maybe God will see that we're sorry for what we've done. Maybe God will see that we're committed to following him. And the whole city prays acknowledging their sin and committing themselves completely to God. And this transformation starts to take place all throughout the city. And the Bible says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. God is thrilled about their change of heart. Mission accomplished, huge success. And Jonah is excited and enthusiastic because God's death sentence has now been lifted, right? No. What? But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Jonah's angry at God. You know why? He knew if they repented that God would operate out of his character and he would pardon them. And this is the reason Jonah went AWOL and headed to Tarshish. It just wasn't because 
he was afraid of what Nineveh might do to him, maybe torture him or kill him, knows because he knew God might have compassion and spare these crazy pagans. He didn't like it. Jonah wanted them to fry. He wanted them to burn. They were the wicked ones. These people, they need to be judged and punished. A little ironic, isn't it? God gives Jonah a second chance. He experiences God's grace and his mercy and his love, but he doesn't want to give the thousands of people in Nineveh to experience the same grace. It's tragic. I mean, Jonah wants Armageddon to fall on Nineveh, but now God's not going to do it. So he sets up camp outside of the city and he just pouts. He sets up this shelter because the sun is really intense. It's so hot, it drains him physically. So God makes a vine grow up over the shelter, like a canopy, and it gives Jonah some relief. He's now in his hammock, and he's loving the shade. And the Bible says that God provided a worm. I, I, I love how it's phrased. He provided a worm, right? This is not a good thing, but he provides a worm. And this worm chews and chews on the vine until the vine dies. Now Jonah's getting scorched again. And he's furious that the vine is no longer there. But God said to Jonah, do you have any right to be angry about the vine? Jonah says, well, yeah, I do. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you've been concerned, so concerned about this vine. You didn't tend it and you didn't make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But Nineveh, Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand. Should I not be concerned? You see, Jonah, he cared more about a plant than he did about 120,000 people who desperately needed God. And God asked Jonah a very penetrating question. Should I not be concerned? The whole time, God was trying to get Jonah to understand one thing, his love. His love for him and his love for everyone else in the world. And God wanted Jonah to see what he saw, spiritually desperate people who needed him. And God wanted Jonah to feel what he felt, his concern and his compassion for all people. And God wanted Jonah to do what he was doing, to extend grace and mercy to a hopeless city. And isn't that what God is telling us to do today? There are people who desperately need Jesus. A couple of months ago, I couldn't sleep. I woke up at two o'clock in the morning, and then I, I tried to go back to sleep. I looked at my phone. It was three o'clock in the morning, and I was like, oh man, I'm, I don't know if I'm gonna sleep. So I go, I get this bright idea. I'm gonna pray, because if I pray, maybe I'll fall back asleep. That's how spiritual I am, folks. <laughs> so I just start praying. As I pray, I see this picture of people who are in the downtown Stanford area. People who are physically ill. People who are dealing with emotional stuff, deep-seated spiritual issues. And I could feel the desperation 
And I kept praying to God, like, God, you, you need to give the people hope. And my wife and I were talking about 1 Peter 3. It talks about Jesus being our living hope. And I said to her, I mean, I, I said in my prayer, I said, God, they need you. They need the living hope. Will you give them the living hope? And I prayed and I prayed. And while I was praying, I got another picture. And the picture was of people in Stanford who were rich and affluent. They didn't seem to have a care in the world, but their desperation was just as great as the other group. They were facing emptiness and purposelessness of everything that they had done and everything that they had accomplished. And so I prayed for them and I prayed and I prayed. I ended up praying all night. And I told my wife, I said, we need to do something about this. So recently I resigned from my high paying job, the church I've been doing on the side. But I've given up my high paying job to dedicate myself to starting a church to reach the people in Stanford who need the love and hope of Jesus Christ. And it is what this church is about. <laughs> Together, we are about reaching people with the hope and the love of Jesus Christ. The city needs God's grace, its mercy, and its hope. I do not think it's a coincidence that Nineveh had 120,000 people. There are just over 120,000 people in the city of Stanford. The only way that they will receive God's love is if we first have compassion and concern. Without Jesus, they are lost and without hope. Recently, I spoke about this story of Jonah, and a woman came up to me and said, you know, your talk on Jonah really touched me. I said, what part? She said, the part where the guy Jonah was in the belly of the fish. That's where I'm at right now. I've been running from God. I recently lost my parents and I've had so much pain inside. I find myself drinking every night until I pass out. I've been dating this guy that I just recently found out is married and now I can't be with him. I have this hole in my heart, this void I cannot fill and nothing seems to satisfy. And I said to her, I said, you know, money, sex, alcohol, there's nothing out there in the world will ever fill the emptiness inside. Only Jesus can do that. And she said to me, how do I have Jesus? I said, God loves you more than you will ever know. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to pay for your sins. And he offers you forgiveness if you will simply put your faith in him. She said, I want Jesus now. I said, okay, I want you to pray with me. She says, how do I do that? I said, just like you and I are talking, I want you to talk to God. So he said, okay. And with absolute sincerity, she said, Jesus, I'm really sorry. I need your forgiveness. And then she just started weeping. And at that moment, she took her first step toward God. And God's message to you and to me is, I'm ready for you to come back. You may not know Jesus, but you could open your heart to him today. You could put your complete faith in him and he will forgive you. Today is the day to return to him. And as we close in prayer, I wanna give you the opportunity to pray to him. If you need Jesus in your life, 
I'm going to give you that opportunity. If you know Christ, but you've been running the opposite direction, maybe there's something God's asked you to do. Maybe there's something you're doing you need to stop. Maybe today is the day where you would say, God, I'm in. I'm not running anymore. I'm turning to you. Acknowledge your sin. Just confess it. Accept whatever consequences there are, and then go run into his arms of love, grace, and mercy.